Before we go into the next program, which happens to be the WBAI Evening News with Paul DiRienzo, um, a little bit of news and information that will be beneficial that the listeners out there will know. And I am not talking about the report to the listener that is uh, happening tonight, starting at 10 p.m., which y'all should listen to and assess what will be said um, starting at 10 p.m. But what I am talking about is the shutdown uh, to the transmitter that was going to happen uh, from July 13th until July 16th. Now, I preface using the word was because that has been postponed till next month. So the shutdown that was supposed to happen tomorrow, starting at 8 a.m. until 3 p.m. from July 13th until July uh, 16th has been canceled. So, which means that there will be some type of programming here on WBAI uh, between the hours of 8 a.m. until 3 p.m. Good evening. The seventh public hearing of the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol invasion, an unhinged meeting, threats to seize voting machines, and the president tries to influence a witness. That's a charge by a member of Congress. And the United Nations moves to help Haiti, although some call it genocide, while a new telescope looks deeper into the past than ever before. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Tuesday, July 12th, 2022. The House Select Committee investigating the January 6, 2021 invasion of the Capitol by supporters of President Donald Trump held its seventh public hearing today. The session focused on the role of ultranationalists and fascist groups that read a tweet by Trump to gather in Washington to protest the county of electoral college votes as a clarion call to action. Witnesses who had been involved with the Oath Keepers, a group close to Trump advisor Roger Stone, testified the group saw the action at the Capitol as an opportunity to launch a power grab in the nation's capital. Motivated by hatred of government, especially when authorities try and protect the environment and help persecuted minorities, committee chair Benny Thompson says the government is actually the good guy. The freedom to be able to vote without harassment, travel in relative safety, and dine and sleep where you choose is because we have a government that looks over the well-being of its citizens. This is especially important in moments of crisis. But even as the committee laid out how the Oath Keepers and other militias allegedly plotted with other groups to seize the Capitol, Republican committee member Liz Cheney says the blame traces back to one man alone sitting in the Oval Office. The strategy is to blame people his advisors called, quote, the crazies for what Donald Trump did. This, of course, is nonsense. President Trump is a 76-year-old man. He is not an impressionable child. Just like everyone else in our country, he is responsible for his own actions and his own choices. As our investigation has shown, Donald Trump had access to more detailed and specific information showing that the election was not actually stolen than almost any other American. And he was told this over and over again. No rational or sane man in his position 
could disregard that information and reach the opposite conclusion. And Donald Trump cannot escape responsibility by being willfully blind. Nor can any argument of any kind excuse President Trump's behavior during the violent attack on January 6th. Wyoming Republican Liz Cheney, Maryland Democrat Jamie Raskin then introduced testimony recorded just yesterday with former White House Chief of Staff Pat Cipollone. Raskin said the testimony shows President Trump wanted to seize voting machines and appoint an election czar. His lawyer and fruitcake, uh, I said, and fruitcake lawyer, Sidney Powell, giving her full powers to prosecute and arrest. Cipollone says he knew it was a bad idea from the start. President Trump would appoint a special counsel with the power to seize machines and then charge people with crimes with all resources necessary to carry out her duties. The specific plan was to name Sidney Powell as special counsel. The Trump lawyer who had spent the post-election period making outlandish claims about Venezuelan and Chinese interference in the election, among others. Here's what White House counsel Pat Cipollone had to say about Sidney Powell's qualifications to take on such expansive authority. I don't think Sidney Powell would say that I thought it was a good idea to appoint her special counsel. I was vehemently opposed. I didn't think she should be appointed to anything. Sidney Powell told the president that these steps were justified because of her evidence of foreign interference in the 2020 election. However, as we've seen, Trump's allies had no such evidence and, of course, no legal authority for the federal government to seize state voting machines. Here's Mr. Cipollone again denouncing Sidney Powell's terrible idea. There was a real question in my mind and a real concern you know, particularly after the attorney general had reached the conclusion that there wasn't sufficient election fraud to change the outcome of the election, when other people kept suggesting that there was, the answer is, what is it? And at some point, you have to put up or shut up. That was my view. Why was this on a broader scale a bad idea for the country? Have the federal government seize voting machines? It's a terrible idea for the country. That's not how we do things in the United States. There's no legal authority to do that. And there is a way to contest elections, you know, that that happens all the time. But the idea that the federal government could come in and seize election machines, you know, that that's, I, don't, I don't understand why I would even have to tell you why that's a bad idea. It's a terrible idea. Jamie Raskin, and he was playing some clips from yesterday's testimony by uh, former White House Chief of Staff Pat Cipollone. Meanwhile, Cheney describes the White House Nerve Center in the Oval Office as the sounds of speakers at the Stop the Steal rally echoed with music blasted by a commander-in-chief, who witnesses say was happy for the first time in weeks. One of the speakers was Roger Stone, a key organizer of the event, who was later pardoned by Trump. Nothing less than an epic struggle for the future of this country between dark and light, between the godly and the godless, between good and evil. And we will win this fight or America will step off into a thousand years of darkness. And that was the scene right outside the uh, 
president's office as he sat there happy, as I said earlier, for the first time in weeks. There were two witnesses at today's hearing, one a former member of the Oath Keepers who pleaded guilty to entering the Capitol, the other an ordinary citizen, a Trump supporter who drove with friends across the country because Trump said the election was stolen. Jason Von Tattenhove says the fact is the Oath Keepers are an armed militia. My time with the Oath Keepers began back at Bundy Ranch with that first standoff when I went to cover them as an independent journalist. Um, I then subsequently covered two more standoffs, the Sugar Pine Mine standoff and the White Hope Mine standoff. It was at that time that I was offered a job as national media director and an associate editor for the webpage. I spent a few years with the Oath Keepers and I can tell you that they may not like to call themselves a militia, but they are. They're a violent militia and they are largely Stuart Rhodes. And Tadnoff added the group, which is headed by Stuart Rhodes, who is now facing charges he led an insurrection against the government, is looking for a civil war. I think we need to quit mincing words and just talk about truths. And what it was going to be was an armed revolution. I mean, people died that day. Law enforcement officers died this day. There was a gallows set up in front of the Capitol. This could have been the spark that started a new civil war, and no one would have won there. That would have been good for no one. The, the, he was always looking for ways to legitimize what he was doing, um, whether by wrapping it in the, the trappings of it's not a militia, it's a community preparedness team. Um, we're not a militia, we're an educational outreach group. It's a veteran support group. But again, we've got to stop with this, this dishonesty and the mincing of words and just call things for what they are. You know, it, he, he, he's a militia leader. He had these grand visions of being a paramilitary leader. And the Insurrection Act would have given him a path forward with that. You know, the, the, the fact that the president was communicating, whether directly or indirectly, messaging, you know, kind of that gave him the nod. And all I can do is thank the gods that things did not go any worse that day. What did the Oath Keepers see in President Trump? They saw a, a, a path forward that would have legitimacy. They saw opportunity, I think, in my opinion, to, um, to become a, a paramilitary force, you know? Jason Von Tattenhove is a former member of the Oath Keepers, a filmmaker. The most disturbing discovery possibly in the two-hour-long hearing was when Representative Cheney says former President Trump tried to influence an unnamed witness. And one more item. After our last hearing, President Trump tried to call a witness in our investigation, a witness you have not yet seen in these hearings. That person declined to answer or respond to President Trump's call and instead alerted their lawyer to the call. Their lawyer alerted us. And this committee has supplied that information to the Department of Justice. Let me say one more time, we will take any effort to influence witness testimony very seriously. And that's Wyoming Representative Liz Cheney, a Republican. 
The eighth public hearing is on for next week. Committee members promise more blockbuster revelations. And part of the discussion today was over a meeting in the White House on December 18th, 2021, that another witness, uh, former aide Cassidy Hutchinson, testified was unhinged. At the meeting between White House aides and informal advisors pushing the president's electoral fraud theories, well, they were discussed in a series of interviews, and there was sort of a montage of clips from those interviews presented today at the hearings. The video clips presented by the committee included testimony from lawyer Sidney Powell, who pushed some of the wildest theories, including of breached voting machines and hacked thermostats that she somehow tied to the false claim of fraud. White House lawyer Eric Hirschman, one of the aides who pushed back, said the theories were nuts, and it got to the point where the screaming was completely, completely out there. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Hunger is set to worsen in Haiti amid worsening gang violence, high costs of food, and rising inflation. That's according to the United Nations World Food Program. They've warned that uh, humanitarian assistance efforts in the crisis-stricken nation are at risk. In a statement on Tuesday, that's today. WFP said insecurity around the Haitian capital, Port-au-Prince, where gangs have blocked roads and seized control of neighborhoods, has made it difficult for people to access and afford food. The UN Group's Haiti country director told reporters more than one million people in the capital are already food insecure and deliveries of homegrown supplies such as bananas cannot get there by road because the trucks are at risk of getting shot at or held up along the way. Armed gangs also have blocked the road leading to Haiti's southern peninsula. The UN agency said cutting 3.8 million people living in the southern departments off from Port-au-Prince. But in New York, a group of Haitians gathered at the UN to protest the extension of a nearly decades-long UN mission to Haiti. United States! United Nations! United Nations! United States! United Nations! UN Security Council! And uh, activists with the group Komokoda, who is leading the protest, the Committee to Mobilize Against Dictatorship in Haiti, spoke with WBI earlier today from the rally and explained why they were there. Following the kidnapping and the, the coup d'etat in Haiti in 2004, that the U.S. Special Forces came and took out President Aristide, that same day U.S. Marines came to Haiti, took over. The U.S. then transferred power to minister. This is a UN mission that was meant to stabilize Haiti. This is, we're talking 2004. And all of these missions were meant to create peace, to create, they say, stability in Haiti. But since 2014 to today, while the UN has been in Haiti, they have brought genocide in the poor neighborhoods, mass rapes, thousands of UN babies in Haiti. This is Haitian women who were raped by UN soldiers. They just left these children in the country. The UN has never taken any responsibility for that. Since 2010, they've brought cholera to Haiti, up to 50,000 Haitians killed. The Bini itself has federated gangs in Haiti. 
that's the G9. This is a product of the United Nations in Haiti. Mrs. Ellen Migalalim, the head of the BINU, she's the one who said that the gang federation of gangs would have brought more security to Haiti. The mass exodus of Haitians out of the country, we consider it also a product of the UN in Haiti. How does the United States get involved in all this? Well, the United States is the colonial power that is running Haiti. At the United Nations, this is the U.S. that organized the U.N. mission that gave advantages, benefits to these countries of the South to be a part of the U.N. Brazil, this is under Lula, and that's one of the things we are denouncing today. The fact that so many supposedly progressive Latin American countries, they participated in this. And while Lula was in power in Brazil, Brazil played the lead role in the UN's genocide in Haiti. For all of these 18 years that the UN has been doing this stuff in Haiti, every 18 months, every year, their mandate is renewed by the Security Council. Never any veto from Russia, never any veto from China, who we hope would stand against U.S. oppression and domination. We are here tomorrow. The U.N. is set to, the Security Council is set to renew the mandate of the Bini. We are here to say down with the UN missions, they have brought nothing good to our country. This July, we just marked the anniversary, 17 years since UN soldiers, Brazilians at the lead, went into Cité Soleil helicopters and fired 22,000 bullets into tin shacks so they could kill this young man called Emmanuel Dred Wilme, who was a community leader, who stood, he took up arms against the minister that was killing Haitians in the country. And that's Daoud Andre, Andre earlier today. Gun battles between rival gangs have killed more than 50 people since Friday near Haiti's capital. A local mayor said yesterday amid a continuing escalation of violence gripping the Caribbean nation, shootouts between gangs in the impoverished suburb of City Soleil have also left more than 100 people wounded, according to City Soleil Mayor Joel Janius, adding that 50 of those are in critical condition. Here in the United States, White House COVID-19 response team coordinator Dr. Ashish Jha says the bivalent COVID-19 vaccine, that means targeting more than one variant of the Omicron virus, could become available in October. But he urges those who are over 50 and haven't yet gotten a booster shot to do so now, saying it'll protect them and save lives. Two weeks ago was when FDA made its recommendation around uh, getting a BA4, BA5 bivalent. So we don't have exact timing. Our expectation is that it'll happen sometime in early October. Could be a little earlier, could be a little later. These vaccines are being built now. Um, and they will, the entire 105 million doses will not show up on day one. Um, so there will be a rollout period here um, where I expect some Americans will get it in October. If everything sticks to timeline, others will get it in November or December. Uh, in terms of what to recommend people right now, uh, it's very clear to me, if you've not gotten a booster, if you're over 50, if you've not gotten a shot in 2022, first of all, getting one now protects you for the rest of the summer into the fall. Uh, second, does not preclude you from being able to get a bivalent vaccine uh, in the fall. 
So I, I, that's why I think for me it's a, it's a very, very clear recommendation. If you're over 50, you haven't gotten a shot this year, you should go get a shot. It's going to save your life. And that is Dr. Ashish Jha. He's the response team coordinator for COVID-19 at the White House. Current vaccines are monovalent, designed to target one specific variant of a virus, the original coronavirus. A bivalent vaccine will target the specific spike mutation seen in the Omicron strain, which is mutated several times to create subvariants and second-generation variants. And... A sparkling landscape of baby stars, the foamy blue and orange view of a dying star, five galaxies in a cosmic dance, the splendors of the universe glowed in a new batch of images released today from NASA's powerful new telescope. The unveiling from the $10 billion James Webb Space Telescope began yesterday at the White House with a sneak peek at the first shot, a jumble of distant galleries that went deeper into the cosmos that humanity has ever seen. A NASA scientist describes the shot. All right, here we go. Ah, okay, <laughs> so the first image is a deep field, and it's also a deep field with a cluster. So why don't we walk through this just a little bit? So if we come up and look at this image, first of all, it's really gorgeous, yeah. and it's teeming with galaxies. And that's something that has been true for every image we've gotten with Webb. We can't take blank sky. Everywhere we look, there's galaxies everywhere. And so, you know, this, gal this, this image, as we're looking at it, what we're seeing is not just all the galaxies, but there's a cluster here. And so the cluster are all these white kind of ethereal galaxies. We're seeing them as they looked back in time, right? The speed of light is only so fast. And so as we're seeing distant galaxies out in space, we're seeing them as they looked billions of years ago. So these cluster galaxies, the white ones, we're seeing as they looked about the time the sun and the earth formed. And then behind the cluster, we have the gravity of the cluster is distorting and warping our view of what's behind. And so there are these galaxies that look stretched and pulled, kind of like, like they've been magnified because they've been magnified by the gravity of the cluster, just like Einstein said they would. Webb's use of the infrared light spectrum allows the telescope to see through the cosmic dust and see faraway light from the corners, the farthest corners of the universe. One of those targets was a giant planet called WASP-96b, about the size of Saturn, 1,150 light years away. A gas planet, it's not a candidate for life elsewhere, but a key target for astronomers. Instead of an image, the telescope uses infrared detectors to look at the chemical composition of the planet's atmosphere. It showed water vapor in the super hot planet's atmosphere and even found the chemical spectrum of neon showing clouds where astronomers thought there were none. This reveal that you're going to see is going to show the first spectrum of an exoplanet as taken from the Webb telescope. And this is exciting because it covers infrared wavelengths of light that we have not had access to before. And there's something about um, infrared that is actually particularly good for, for the spectrum. So in this, in this case, what we're doing is we're actually going to take the light and break it up into a rainbow and look very, very carefully at how much color is coming in, in, each, in, in each part of the, the spectrum. What we did was we observed a transit of an exoplanet. We observed the planet as it passed in front of the star. Now, mind you, this is not a direct image. This is an indirect image. And you get a bunch of what looks like bumps and wiggles to some people, but it's actually full of 
information content. So you're actually seeing bumps and wiggles that indicate the presence of water vapor in the atmosphere of this exoplanet. This is a an exoplanet. It's a, about the size of Jupiter, about half the mass of Jupiter. It orbits around a sun-like star, but it does it every about three and a half days. Right. So it's extremely hot, extremely close in, nothing like our solar system planets. But that's okay, because what we're seeing is, again, the first exoplanet data from Webb, and this is just the beginning. And that's a report from NASA, said Thomas Zerbuchin, chief of NASA science missions, after the event, it moves you. This is so beautiful. Nature is beautiful. To me, this is about beauty. And that's some of the news for Tuesday, July 12, 2022. The news is produced with Linda Perry, our engineers, Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening. This is the mic check for Cat Radio Cafe. Testing. Testing. Tune into Cat Radio Cafe Tuesday night at 9 here on WBAI. I'm Janet Coleman. I'm David Dozer. For this place, Playwright. On Tuesday, July 12th at 9 p.m., we'll be joined by filmmaker Lynn Sachs and poet Paolo Javier to discuss their collaboration on Lynn's docufilm Swerve, set in a food market in Elmhurst, Queens, and scripted with poetry from Javier's collection OBB, a.k.a the original brown boy. Tuesday night at 9 here on WBAI. Cat Radio Cafe. Get a cat's drink coffee. When you're taking a shower. Who would have guessed? Tune to Out FM on Tuesday, July 12th at 8 p.m. for an interview with Hugh Ryan about the importance of the Women's House of Detention for the queer movement. The House of D, the prison appears in the 1930s. Audre Lorde and Joan Nestle talk about the importance of the prison as a site of queer culture in the 1950s and 60s. So after these bars appear, Arcus Flynn had talked about it in her oral history about the Daughters of Belitis, about seeing the women in the prison setting fire to their belongings and throwing them out the windows on the first night of the Stonewall riots while screaming gay rights, gay rights, gay rights. Angela Davis discusses the conditions in the Women's House of Detention where she was housed following her arrest. In the days that followed, familiarity with the routine in 4B did not diminish the horror of living behind bars. Tune to Out FM on Tuesday, July 12th at 8 p.m. WBAI's next report to the listener is scheduled for Tuesday, July 12th from 10 p.m. to midnight. Join me, Linda Perry, WBAI's program director, along with Bertolt Reimers, WBAI's general manager, for this month's report to the listener. That's Tuesday at 10 p.m., July 12th, right here on Pacifica Radio, WBAI New York, broadcasting at 99.5 FM, streaming at WBAI.org. And a previous program was the WBAI Evening